If you enjoy this content, please support Unfound at Patreon, YouTube, or PayPal. On this episode, I read a letter from Steve Pankey. I detail the capture of a rich fugitive in Florida. I go over my experience filming for Taking the Stand, and I cover a bunch of other stuff, including taking questions from the audience. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for August 7th, 2023. Hello, everyone. Hello, 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 everybody. This is Unfound Live for August 7th, 2023. I hope everybody has had a great week since the last time we got together. Uh, If you are, of course, watching live right here on Monday night. You can see that I am back in Florida. I'm back at my humble abode. I don't know how you say condo in Spanish, but I'm back here. I've been back here since Wednesday night. And it was a good flight. It's good to be back. No drama to talk about with an Uber ride or anything. And uh, so I'm back in the swing of things, getting work done. And here to talk to all of you, want to remind all of you to hit the thumbs up button during the show tonight, if you are on YouTube, that is. But if you are watching on Facebook, do what you can. Uh, If you can hit the, I don't know if there's a heart button or whatever else. If you are in the discussion group watching or on the page watching, do whatever you can over there to make sure everybody knows how much you love this live live show. In addition, maybe you are tuning in for the first time. So uh, maybe uh, you need to subscribe to this channel. Of course, any of you on Facebook will have to go to YouTube to do that. But I try to make it as easy as uh, possible by posting the, uh, by putting the little uh, subscribe button down there in the bottom right hand corner. Although the overlay uh, may be disguising it, but it is there. And also, uh, as the, the overlay for tonight, anyway, of course, says if you like this content, Please press the super chat button, which is down there. Once again, this is a YouTube feature down at the bottom below the chat. It's a little square with a dollar sign in it. So if you'd like to do that, I would also appreciate it. And um, there you go. So uh, got some of the business out of the way. And I want to thank uh, my assistant, Cherie, for moderating uh, this evening. She has logged in here to uh, StreamYard. Of course, this is what, week three or week four 
uh, of using this and it's going smoothly, pretty smoothly so far. Although I will tell you that um, now that I'm back in Florida and I guess have more time on my hands, uh, I'm going to be messing around with this a little bit more as far as uh, being able to use more of the features in StreamYard so as to, um, you know, take greater use of all the features compared to how limited it kind of was um, when I was just, you know, using YouTube and using the YouTube studio features. But I have a great uh, show for you tonight. Got a lot to talk about. And uh, if you've seen uh, the subjects uh, for tonight's live show, you do see in the title that it says Steve Panky Letters. So you may be wondering about that. And yes, I do have a letter from Steve Panky that I am going to read on the air tonight. This will be the first time that it is uh, public. And uh, I got it. Uh, it was sent to me while I was in Pennsylvania. I got it when I got back. And although I've told my assistants about it and they've seen it, this will be the first time it is being made uh, available to all of you. I'm going to read it. And of course, I'm going to talk about. So you have a few things uh, that to look forward to tonight. Uh, as for my voice, my voice is a lot better than it sounds. This is just going to be one of those things where um, as I continue to do my singing, practicing and everything, I think my voice is just going to be like this sometimes. Uh, but surely it's better if you might remember like three weeks ago I or maybe a month ago, I did a uh, live where my voice was totally shot. I would not say that my voice is totally shot. I would say uh, that my voice is uh, kind of like when you lift weights and your muscles are sore, but that's the only way to make your muscles bigger or stronger, whatever else. That's what's going on with my voice. So let's see who is in here uh, tonight, and I will move on to some other things. Uh, everything, uh, hello to you, everything. Macy, so good to see you. Macy, thank you for becoming a... YouTube uh, member for this channel. Uh, thank you so very much. That is why uh, Macy, it says Macy. I'm not going to say her last name on the air, but she is a new member. Thank you so much. Hello, Karen. Hello, Melody. Sharon. Oh, another Australian. Good to see you, Sharon. And Lisa's taking a break from mowing the grass. I mowed a little bit of grass in my day. Hello, Deborah, and thank you for the super sticker, Deborah. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Charlotte, Kathy, Mark. What's going on, Mark? And nephew uh, Charlie. Uh, is that you, nephew Charlie? And uh, Or maybe not. Maybe it's, uh, no, I think that's actually Sheree. Sheree, that's you, right? Uh, my nephew is Charles, and you're Charlie, correct? Just uh, to make sure I got these, uh, don't want to get these mixed up. Um, gas mower for Lisa. Hello, Suzanne. CR, what's going on? Carrie, assistant Carrie. Good to see you. Got um, Patty. Uh, yeah, everybody's in her twinkle. Good to see you, twinkle. 
And Patricia, for our recent guest, Patricia, good to see you. Angie and Puma. Yeah, Puma, where you been? Um, good to, I, I, I don't know if I've, uh, but it's good to see you in the chat. So uh, hello to everybody. Um, just a couple other things I need to send out. A couple of birthday shout outs. One uh, needs to go uh, to my, uh, uh, one of my best friends of all time. Long, 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 long time. uh, Best friend going back to even before our teen years. And that's my buddy, Doug. Um, Some of you may remember that um, he and I went to the Iron Maiden concert. Can't believe it's been four years now. I don't know where the time goes. But um, we went to the Iron Maiden concert four years ago. And then also later that year in September, he and I, my dad, and Doug's son, um, uh, all went to Canada. So his birthday is today, and I hope he's having a fantastic one. And uh, another birthday today is uh, ex-girlfriend, but still friend, Suzanne. Her birthday uh, is today as well. And uh, it it was interesting back at that time when Suzanne and I were a thing. My best friend and my girlfriend both had the same birthday. So, of course, that only happened technically for one year given. But, you know, that's you don't run into that maybe uh, too often. But, yes, at one point, my girlfriend and... My best friend had the same birthday, although they were born in different years. So I need to give a shout out to uh, to Doug and to Suzanne. And speaking of birthdays, I celebrated one uh, last Tuesday, and I think I was properly worshipped. You know, I got a lot of um, happy birthday wishes, and I, I felt valued. And I and I felt needed, which is nice. And I'm just going to um, show you a couple things uh, from my birthday. My dad took me to Wendy's for my birthday, and uh, so <laughs> there you go. That was last Tuesday. But once I got back to Florida, I got this very cool card from Kathy, and it says. Uh, Four out of five cats don't care. Okay, you can see that. Uh, it's weird. It, there we go. Four out of five cats don't care that it's your birthday. And then there's a, I don't want to show what you read. Everything, but okay, it's actually five out of five. But I care, and that's all that matters. That was a birthday card uh, from listener Kathy right there. Like I said, with the. The way this camera works, there you go. You can see it right there. And also, uh, Twinkle got me this. Hold on a second. Got me this very, very cool shirt. And once again, I don't know if how it's going to come out, given that I blur the background and everything yet. But look at this shirt. How about this? So it's the American flag, and a disc golf basket is where the field of stars are. So uh, I haven't worn it yet, 
but uh, maybe I'll wear it to trivia this week. We'll just have to see. But I've got this very, very cool shirt. Uh, you know, anything that's going to have disc golf on it uh, is very cool to me. So those are just a couple of the things uh, that I got. So Kathy and Twinkle, thank you so very much. I did get uh, some other cards. My brother Michael got me a gift certificate. My dad uh, actually did give me some cash and things, but uh, we we didn't do a special uh, dinner or anything for my uh, birthday. Um, we had gone uh, to one of my plays, favorite places. It's like a Chinese buffet. It's not like it is a Chinese buffet near where he lives. So that was kind of the big meal uh, for my two weeks of being home. And so, like I said, on the day, it was August 1st, we went out and we went to Wendy's and he bought. So uh, there you go. That was my birthday. And now, yes, I am 53 years old. Who would have thunk it? So there you go. Um, I want to remind everybody, uh, if you're watching, as you're watching, if you want to um, ask me any questions to uh, tonight, I do have some questions to answer. I have three questions at least to answer. So if any of you have any questions you want to ask about anything, it does not have to be unfound related. But uh, anything that uh, you find interesting that you want to comment on, as long as it's not too personal, as long as it's not politics or religion, I will attempt to answer it. So uh, who else? Um, Shree says, I'm Charlie with a picture of my mom. Is that your mother, Shree? Okay, got it. All right. And um, Deborah says, you sly shy boy. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of that David Lee Roth song, Deborah. Uh, shy boy, shy boy, shy boy, shy boy. Um, thank, yeah, it's a nice shirt, uh, Lisa. You're right, Deborah. Yeah, De- uh, Twinkle has very good taste. Hey, uh, Ed, it's Alec. Thanks for chatting last night. Glad to finally catch this live again, Alec. Good to see you. Good talking to you last night as well. Hello, Julie. Coffee. Um, Okay, I'll answer that question uh, right now. Good to see you, by the way, Coffee. Coffee asks, what has been your biggest surprise since starting Unfound? Uh, my biggest surprise, Coffee, is that it's lasted this long. <laughs> That's my biggest surprise. And I think that will always be uh, the biggest surprise regarding um, what I do here. Uh, that it's still around... Of course, we're coming up on the seventh anniversary, over 300 disappearances covered, 365 episodes. Um, that is the biggest surprise. Good question. Uh, ha- yeah, thank you, Alec. Hit the thumbs up, it costs nothing, and it does help me out. So thank you for reminding everybody, Alec. All right, let's get to, tell you what, I'm going to answer just to make sure I get to all of the questions uh, that are asked of me tonight. I'm going to answer one of them right now. And this first one comes from Lorenzo. And I guess I should say that um, Lorenzo, I think, is the brother of Eric Alvarado. Remember, that's a disappearance. I think we covered back in 2019. You may remember that 
Um, he lived in Texas. And then his car was eventually found over the state line in Arkansas. You might also remember that his dogs got killed and that his shoes were found by the car and, and the keys were hanging on a fence. Um, and if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, please track it down and listen to it at your earliest convenience. But I believe that Lorenzo, who is asking this question, uh, is Eric's brother. So the question is, um, how can people that get away, quote unquote, get away with murder, go on to live a normal and sometimes a successful life with family? Lorenzo, uh, it might, may, uh, Kathy says it's maybe right, that you may be right. Kathy, I know, I know it's a close relation of, um, maybe it is Eric's dad. Um, but that is the question that Lorenzo, Lorenzo asks, uh, Lorenzo, if you're out there, if you're listening, or you're going to watch this some later time, um, if I had an answer to that, I think we could solve a lot of, uh, earth's problems. <laughs> um, that is, uh, a, you know, it's a philosophical question that I don't have an answer for. Um, you know, we all like to think if we believe in such things that people who do bad things on this planet and never uh, are brought to justice, we, th- we hope that there is something after this life in which these people do get their comeuppance. Of course, we all may be wrong. We just don't, you know, I know people have faith out there and everything else, but, um, you know, I think still being that we're here, we're looking for justice here. And, um, the only thing I could really else, you know, say about that, Lorenzo, is that there's just a lot of people out there who don't have consciences. And not only that, uh, I'm convinced that a lot of these people who do these things feel righteous in what they did. Uh, you know, not only do they not have a conscience, but they think what they did in causing somebody's disappearance was the right thing to do. So they actually may think that they are on actually the, the morally correct side. That is, um, I, I certainly believe that's true. Um, you know, I certainly believe, for example, in some of these disappearances where women have gone missing, mothers or wives have gone missing. And we are to think that the husbands, uh, did something to the wives and, you know, even though they have kids together and everything, I'm sure that these husbands feel absolutely justified in what they did. Of course they're wrong. But in their minds, uh, they think what they did was right. They think that these women needed to, to, to die and then make them disappear, that everybody would be better off if they weren't around. Or, you know, these guys are just looking out for themselves and they have no consciences. It's, it's a lot of things put together. Um, but on the other hand, just as we've learned recently with the Michael Turney trial that sometimes you can want justice, maybe a little too much. And in wanting justice too much, 
the person who probably did, you know, cause the disappearance gets off. And with Michael Turney, he is a free man. You know, there's really nothing they can bring against him anymore. He has been acquitted. So I think it's then possible sometimes to want justice, to want resolution and everything. I think we're, we're finding that you can, ha- you can want that too much. And wanting it too much can then bring about exactly the opposite of what you want. So it's a very fine line. So, you know, looking into this question a little deeper, uh, I realized, I I mean, I will be honest with Eric Alvarado's disappearance. I don't believe that there was foul play. I can understand if Eric's family believes that. I'm not here to argue with them. But uh, being that Lorenzo is asking the question, if he believes that Eric was murdered and that somebody did it, You know, I fully support it. They think somebody did it to go after that person. But what you don't want to get into is a situation where somebody's eventually charged, but there's really no proof. It's just circumstantial. And then it gives a jury or even a judge in Michael Turney's case the opportunity to let that person off to the point where no trial is possible again. So you just have to be very, very careful about this stuff. And, um, you know, it very well may be also um, that these people believe that, yep, I murdered somebody. I meant to do it. I know it was the wrong thing to do. But come that judgment day, if such a thing uh, actually exists, I'll just repent. And, uh, you know, I'll know in my heart that you know, um, what I did was wrong and I'll be for forgiven my, for my sin. And that'll be that I'm no theologian and I stay away from religion and everything, but trust me, I'm, I'm guessing some killers think like that. So there's a lot that goes into answering that question that, um, you're asking Lorenzo, but, uh, I feel for you. I, I wish that Eric Eric's disappearance was already solved. I realize that um, your family thinks that there was foul play, um, but just don't hope too much. You have to keep doing the work that you need to do to try to figure out what happened to him, but uh, you don't want to get into a situation like, like what happened with uh, the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. You really, really have to um, be careful of that. Um, let me, uh, see here. Um, uh, Twinkle asked me, I don't think I've ever heard the story about how you came to name the podcast unfound. Um, you know, Twinkle wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I threw around a lot of different ideas, I knew that I wanted it to be something short. I knew that, uh, you know, that I didn't want it to be more than one word. Uh, If I could have uh, made it just one syllable, I would have done that. Um, But uh, I came across 
that word because even though it's not a very common word in the English language, of course it's a word, but I think when people see that word, they think of like the word unfounded, which means, you know, to think something which really has no basis. It's, you know, your thoughts are unfounded. Um, but I think it's, it's appropriate because of course, all of the people who uh, are interviewed for unfound are trying to find their, their missing loved one, their friend, a daughter, a son, a parent. Um, and these people are still unfound. There's people out there searching for them, people trying to find them, but these missing people still have not been found. So they're unfound. That's how I came up with it. I can tell you it took me more than one day um, to come up with a name and, uh, it's, uh, I, I think it still works seven years later. So I'm happy about that. Uh, so Twinkle, great question. Um, don't know if I've ever answered. I probably have answered that question before, but I don't remember doing so. It seems like a, an obvious question that somebody would have asked by now. Uh, but thank you for reminding me of it. Twinkle. Uh, coffee, as far as disappearances, what were you most surprised about? Like for me, I was surprised so many men disappeared. Uh, I'll come back to that coffee. Uh, thank you, Julie. Um, Julie, I say they may look, their life is good for them, but I bet they look over their shoulder all the time. Uh, these people who have who've caused these disappearances, um, maybe Deborah, but, but like I said, um, I think the, a lot of them are very self-righteous in what they've done. They don't think they go to, um, you know, they, they deserve to go to jail. And even if something is tried to be pinned on them, they'll have some rational explanation for why they did what they did. Um, Facebook user says, Ed, do you have a belief in or an opinion on the stories of UFOs and non-human biological matter? Uh, I do. Um, I, I'm not a believer in UFOs. Um, I certainly don't believe that um, all this stuff that's been going on for a while now regarding our UFOs or things from other planets. In fact, I'm not even convinced it's like some high-tech super secret government spy program with or anything. I I think it's a lot of confirmation bias. I think it's a lot of equipment that is uh, malfunctioning. I think it's our uh, people's eyes playing tricks on that. It's a lot of things put together. And, you know, as I've stated, you know, here living at the beach and being able to go up my balcony and look at the dark sky and, you know, I see a lot of stars. I see a lot of planets and everything else. And it's very easy for me to understand why when you see like the planet Venus or Jupiter in the night sky at certain times, the people could think, well, that's a jet with its lights on. It's not. People are making uh, mistakes about things in the sky all the time. So, um, I'm not convinced uh, of any of any of that. Uh, I think that um, all of this stuff, like the testimony in front of Congress, these people, I believe it's 
I personally believe that this is the government's way of rooting out um, people who uh, are leakers. I believe that this is a test of them. We're going to, you know, they think that there might be people who are leaking information out. So they create the most outrageous story possible and they see if it gets out. And that's how they figure out who, uh, who the people are who can't keep their mouth shut regarding real government secret programs, whether it has to do with the military or whatever else. They just create the most outrageous story ever and see where it pops out. Like we, any of us have done, you know, if you've ever not trusted somebody, the quickest way to find out who you can trust and who you can't trust is just to tell the most outrageous story about somebody and say, you know what? I'm just going to tell you, don't tell anybody, you know, and lead the person on as to believe, well, I'm going to be telling some other people, but you only tell that person and see if the story gets back to you. And I think that's what's going on here. As far as the Navy pilots and things, you can watch uh, YouTube videos. I would go to C.W. Lemoyne's channel, YouTube channel. He's a good guy, former fighter pilot on YouTube. It's L-E-M-O-I-N-E. He has a discussion group on their video with some other fighter pilots. They are totally, totally cynical about the entire thing. So um, uh, I'm going to prefer to believe them. And uh, being that they were the ones that they're retired now, but they were the ones at one time or another who were responsible for defending this country and, you know, what they think of the video and everything else. You know, they talk about radars making mistakes and new software and everything, making, seeing all sorts of things that aren't out there. So uh, if they're going to think that, that's what I believe too. Hello, Deborah. Unbelievable. Ed, if you, they find new evidence against Michael Turney, could they bring new charges against him? Nope. Um, yeah, good to see you, Facebook user. The name is catchy. I definitely like it. Think it fits. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Twinkle. Uh, Deborah agrees with no conscience. Oh, I test. I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm not quite convinced either way. I like to know smart people's opinions. I don't know if we'll ever know. Thanks for answering it. You're welcome. I've just never really believed in UFOs. Um, I think it is curious also on top of everything else that it doesn't seem like other countries are having uh, UFO discussions in front of their parliament or whatever else. We're the only people doing this. That should tell you something. I mean, really. These UFOs are just coming down and only being seen by the United States. It's crazy. And unfortunately, we live in a time where people see uh, a chance for their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, I want to be uh, a government engineer. I want to work for the government uh, designing you know, top secret uh, aircraft. But what I really want to do is I really want to be a social media influencer. So I'm going to get out there with my UFO story. This is a huge problem we have in our culture today. Too many people taking up jobs so they then can start their, uh, their social media careers. I'm a flight attendant, but what I really want to be is a social media influencer. 
I'm a pilot, but what I really want to be is a YouTube star. I'm an engineer, but we have a huge problem like that right now. Huge, huge problem. So this also, um, you know, is on my mind as well. Deborah says, I believe in USOs, not Martians. Okay. All right, Deborah. Patricia says, call me crazy. Uh, she believes in UFOs too. Okay, Patricia. I won't hold that against you. All right. So got some questions answered. Let's get uh, to some of the things that I've uh, lined up for tonight. Uh, first, I want to go to the Brenda Lambert poll. Of course, that was the disappearance uh, that we just covered this past Friday. You know that I do an update on the poll just to let all of you know um, what the answers uh, were. And uh, 72% in the discussion group have decided that Brenda's cousin, whose name was Tammy, that was Raymond's next wife, you might remember that she was at the birthday party uninvited that night. Does Tammy know what happened to Brenda? 72% of the people in the discussion group said yes. And in the think tank, once again, uh, the think tank is patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, kind of the same. I really was not. I have to admit that topic was really not a major one for the think tank last night. Uh, we covered a lot of different topics, but we didn't spend too much time on that. So uh, hard to say if it was much different than the discussion group answer. I think it makes a lot of sense that she would know, but I'm also open to the idea that she didn't. I mean, surely back... Uh, when the disappearance happened, she had to have been thinking, wow, that sure is convenient. Here I am, uh, the other woman, and then uh, my cousin, who is married to the the man whose mistress I am, goes missing. Boy, that sure is convenient for me. Boy, that's sure nice for me. She had, she had to know. I mean... You know, and of course, we have to be open to the idea maybe what maybe Raymond had nothing to do with this disappearance at all. Maybe it was Tammy who initiated this disappearance. Something to think about. So that is the Brenda Lambert poll. And of course, I do those, I, I post those every. Saturday morning, uh, the day after the episode comes out. And if you're not a part of the discussion group, please um, go there and uh, ask to be let in. And myself or one of the moderators will allow you to join up into the group. Because if you're not in the group, you cannot see what goes on there. Uh, let's see what everybody else is saying here. Uh, coffee says like the doctor in Ohio who lost her license. I think I know what you're talking about there. Coffee. Um, Facebook user says definitely hard to know who to trust these days, but interdimensional traveling 
So neat to think about. We don't know everything about everything. Just interesting. Uh, it's certainly interesting, uh, but you know, there's uh, certainly a lot of interesting things that aren't true. So, but just so they say, if you have RH negative AB blood type, then you are part alien. Is that right, uh, Patricia? I really have to admit uh, off the top of my head, I don't even know what my blood type is. Uh, yeah, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to support what we do here, uh, all of the content that is provided on unfound, the podcast, this YouTube channel, everything else uh, comes through your support, whether through the super chat button that you can hit right now or hitting the join button on YouTube or at patreon.com, or we can't forget PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. They saw Patricia says they base this on the recorded abductions reported. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Patricia, as you would expect, I'm not a believer in those abductions. It seems like only the you know, uh, people who are a little touched or something, uh, they seem to be the only ones who get abducted. Uh, when somebody likes my, like myself gets abducted and then has a story, maybe I will start changing my mind about UFOs. Moving on. Um, I put out a new unfound now today, just a couple hours ago, and it is the disappearance of K. Alana Turner. Now, this is uh, uh, the first time that I've done this, but I um, spoke to her parents yesterday. This is the first time that I've ever spoken to the parents of a missing person before the Unfound Now episode came out. Of course, we've turned a couple of Unfound Now disappearances into regular episodes. Jason Landry. Um, of course, Bo Man, uh, was another one, but this is the first time where I've talked to the parents before I did the unfound now and how that came about was that friend of the program, uh, of course, host of his own YouTube channel, John Lorden contacted me last week and he has already done two videos on Kaylana's uh, disappearance from, Tomble, Texas, uh, back in March. And John asked me, you know, can you help these people out? It's a disappearance. It's relatively new. What can you do for them? I said, sure, I'll talk to them. So we talked yesterday. And being that I had not done a uh, Unfound Now yet for July, and of course it kind of um, was difficult to do uh, with everything, uh, with being in Pennsylvania and trying to manage my time there and everything. Um, finally waited till I got back here, talked to them yesterday, learned a lot about Kaylana, uh, a lot, which I can't make public just because it was a private conversation. And then today I did the Unfound Now episode that you can now find on Unfound's channel. I just automatically made it public for everyone. Now, of course, the other weird thing about it is this is a disappearance that goes back to March. So as you know, uh, of course, three years into Unfound Now, I usually like to pick one that's like within a month or two, you know, prior. Um, kind of um, went outside my own rules a little bit. Um, but 
uh, I thought it was worth it. And I really did not have uh, a disappearance picked out yet anyway for an unfound now. So being that I talked to them, thought I could help them out. And uh, I tried to give them the best advice that I could yesterday while talking to them. And um, so that's why today wrote out what I wanted to say. And um, that is now out for everybody. So I hope you will check it out. And uh, she went missing. Uh, certainly a young woman going through some mental health issues, not of not all of her own making. And she was sleeping in her car in a stranger's driveway. She wouldn't leave. A police officer showed up. He broke the window of her car. She took off in her car, went through a fence, went through the woods or whatever. I think the car wrecked or something. She jumped out ran off, never to be seen again. And of course, they've done searches with dogs and helicopters, everything. And uh, still, like, what is it now? Six months later, something like that, she is still missing. So that is the newest Unfound Now episode. Please check it out. Please give it um, a thumbs up if you could. And thank you for posting that. Kaylana Turner on Unfound Now. Thank you for posting that, Cherie. Alex says, to be fair, a few of the people testifying this here is are military Air Force veterans. I don't really know what to believe about the whole deal, though. Uh, I realize that. Alec, all I would tell you is to, um, like I said, check out C.W. LeMoyne's YouTube channel. And he has a Zoom uh, conference with some of his uh, retired uh, military aviators, whether in Air Force or, or the Navy, talking about all of this. And you will be able to tell that. And the thing is, they know some of these people who are testifying. And all of these guys are a bit cynical about the whole thing. So, you know, if you, you can listen to them. Uh, check it out. Um, Patricia says, I do not think Raymond definitely killed Brenda. He was such a controlling and abusive husband. I do. Oh, Patricia, I do think, yeah, that's a very popular theory. Uh, Patricia, dare I say, dare I say, uh, and Deborah agrees with you, Patricia. So go check that out. Kaylana Turner. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that she is deceased. Um, of course we've been surprised this year with Brandon Roberts and Alan Glasgow that they uh, were still alive. So we can only hope that Kay Alana is, you know, that happens for her as well. But given the situation, very dicey. And if she is not alive anymore, if her remains are found someday, I'm predicting that they're, you know, it's going to, they're going to be fairly close to where uh, the car was ditched. I think that that's what our experience tells us. Um, yeah, yep. That's true. Patricia Raymond and mother was busy cleaning Brenda's home the next morning. Yeah. Uh, everybody should have a, a mother-in-law that's so kind, right? Patricia, Patricia. Okay. All right. Uh, one more thing regarding, um, uh, unfound. And then I'm going to get to the Steve Panky letter. I'm sure you're all very interested to hear what he had to say. Of course, I'm going to have to set it up with 
what I sent him, although I'm not going to read what I sent to him because some of them are, you know, kind of private things about my insight into Janelle's disappearance and murder and everything else. But um, I want to talk last Thursday. I was questioned for three hours for the TV show, taking the stand. This is a show that that is hosted by Dan Abrams. Although he did not interview me, just one of the producers interviewed me and it was, you know, I want to tell you all about this on, you know, if you ever want to know like behind the scenes, what goes on, how do they line up, you know, some type of show like this? It was very interesting. Um, I'd been con. I was contacted when I was up seeing my dad about uh, the show, taking the stand, they're going to be doing an episode on Steve Pankey's trial. Of course he was eventually found guilty in the second trial, the murder of Janelle Matthews. They're going to be doing an episode of it. It's not going to be coming out to like next year though. So that's what they said. Of course, I will keep you posted on that. They contacted me. Would I be, could I, would I, you know, could I appear? Could I, would I, you know, could I be on this show? Could I be questioned being that I was up on the stand on and on and on said, sure. So I get back here to Florida. They rent out an Airbnb, which is up in, which was up in Palm Harbor, which is like a half hour North of here. I show up and it's just this little, you know, beach house type of place um, that somebody owns that they rent out. Well, they rented it out. And so I go in there and, and they've moved all the furniture out of the way. And there's, um, two people who I are just local here to Tampa, but they've been hired to set this all up. The camera's set up, the lighting's all set up. They set it all up. So it's going to look good. Um, and there is, um, you know, big camera on the tripod and there's kind of like a um, teleprompter kind of thing set up. So even though I'm looking at the camera, I'm also seeing the face of the person who is interviewing me, which is one of the producers of this of this show. And it's all done through Zoom. And they, they wired, you know, they had me with a microphone. They wired me with a microphone. And so for three hours... I sat in this chair and the the producer of this show um just asked me asked me all these questions. Started like we started like 8:30 in the morning and we went to like 11:30. And we just took like one break, uh, uh a, a somewhat short break, but you know, this is how they do you you know, if you ever wondered, if you watch these types of shows, getting people on camera to talk about something. Now I realize, I think the episode's only going to be an hour long. They, you know, they talked to me for three hours. So all my words are going to be, uh, you know, cut up and who knows, you know, what they're going to do with it. But, um, but it was interesting. I, I can tell you it was a little draining. Now I know how some of my, you know, Patricia being that you were a recent guest. Uh, now I know how some of uh, Unfound's guests feel when they are interviewed for like two hours, two and a half hours. But I thought it went really well. Um, I would admit they asked me, they asked me some questions that were a little outside of my expertise. 
I got the feeling that they were just really asking everybody who they were interviewing all the same questions, kind of. Um, and I really, really, really tried to just stick to uh, what I knew. And, um, you know, they, you know, they did ask me to do a little speculation here and there and, and elsewhere, but it was interesting. It was interesting to see how they, uh, kind of the behind the scenes of something like that to show up and all the cameras and you're just in this, like I said, an Airbnb little, probably the place was no bigger than my condo here, although it was a standalone building. And they just turned it into a, a studio. And, um, you know, that's how they do it. So uh, three hours of me looking at this camera, like right there, and then seeing the face of the producer. He's on Zoom, and he's looking at his questions and doing some things, and he's asking me, and I'm answering. And I know sometimes I would mess up, and I'd start over. But um, it was good. That's that's how they do it. If you ever wondered, that's how they do it. They don't, you know, take some people to like a – maybe back in the day they would have had to have done that. But now with the technology, you can just do everything over Zoom. Everything's filmed over the internet. Uh, you know, the teleprompter was some type of thing. It was like a two-way mirror. And then the tablet was like down like this and it would reflect and I would see the guy's face, but the camera could shoot through the two-way mirror. It was all very interesting to me. And it also reminds me how long it's been since I was, um, you know, involved in, uh, you know, any sort of film production or anything like it. It's been like over 20 years and I'm thinking I'm watching this. I'm like, boy, the technology has changed. So it's called Taking the Stand. Maybe the, this is a show that I think has been around for a while. But from what I've told, I, I was told, it's not coming out till next year. So, I mean, that seems like forever away now. But I, I'm hoping, being that I actually took part in it, that uh, they will let me know uh, when it's coming out. Unlike, for example, 48 Hours or whatever it was, that just used the interview I did with Steve without my permission. Then it's on TV one night and, you know, one of my assistants says, Hey Ed, do you know that you're on 48 hours tonight or 2020, whatever it was. And they're using part of your interview and everything else. And I was like, what, what, you know, what's going on here? Hopefully it won't be like that. So let's see what everybody is saying now that I'm done. Uh, but Paula, uh, episode, uh, Paula Zahn did an episode about Janelle Matthews a few months ago. It was really good. Yeah, I think I knew that, Charlotte. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, yeah, a Facebook user, that is what it is, C.W. Lemoyne. It's L-E-M-O-I-N-E. C.W. Lemoyne, is that it? Yes, that's what it is. Thank you, Facebook user. I try to be a good interviewer. Uh, Kathy also saw the Paula Zahn episode. Um, Thank you, Kim. Uh, thank you for saying you love this podcast. And uh, three hours is can be a long time, could be challenging. It was challenging. In fact, I will I will be honest. Um, of course, I had to get up early anyway because I wanted to wash my hair and make sure it was dry before I got in front of the camera. So I 
had to get up at six in the morning, which for you, as you know, all of you know, uh, I am a late to bed, late to rise type of guy. So I had to get up at six in the morning to take a shower, wash my hair, make sure it looked okay and was dry by the time I got up there. And when I came home, I went back to bed. So yes, it was a long time and yes, it was challenging. Um, so there you go. All right. On that topic, let me uh, answer one more question here. I'm going to answer, uh, coffee. You asked me a question up here before, and I, um, as for, as far as disappearances, what were you most surprised about? Like me, for me, I was surprised so many men disappeared. Um, for me, coffee, I would say now having done this for seven years, probably the biggest surprise for me has been all the different types uh, of disappearances. It's not something that I could have ever anticipated. But as you know, I I took I took a interest in disappearance for us for a very 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 long time before I ever started Unfound. And it wasn't until really it, it became a job. It became a 24-7 thing where I needed to be, to be prepared to interview people and I needed to read up on everything regarding a disappearance and go to Nambus and go to the Charlie Project and you know really try you know to make sure when I came to this microphone that I, I didn't sound like a dolt that I began to understand how many different kinds of disappearances there are. And I think that's one of the reasons that in doing the episodes, at least now, I try to remind everybody of that. It's become a mission, you know, within the last few years. And of course, it's very important when I've gone to speak at schools that it's important to understand that there are different types of disappearances because each type of disappearance needs to be looked at in a very unique way if it's going to be resolved. And of course, one of the big problems that we have, and it's been going on, I think, since the first disappearance in the history of, you know, in the history of man ever happened, is that too often uh, the people investigating these disappearances look at them as all as the same thing. Or if they do differentiate, it's just a couple different categories. Whereas I think on Unfound, we've shown, you know, I broke them down, what, into six different categories in which you really have to understand them so you know what to look for and you know what questions you need to ask and what facts you should be looking for and everything else. You need to be very specific or an investigation can get out of hand very quickly. This is why one of the things I've stressed in uh, when I've spoken to at college, spoken to colleges is you have to know it when you see it. As an investigator, when you show up to fill out that report or they come down to the headquarters or whatever, and they say, my son or daughter disappeared, as soon as the person, person starts talking, you should be thinking, is what kind of disappearance is this? The man said disappearance. Do drugs play a role? Is it a murder? But, you know, you know, is it a very unique type? Is it a walk-off? 
and you should be able to, you need to be able to identify it as quickly as possible so as to ask the right questions. And the answers to those questions will guide what direction you're going to try to go to solve it. It's not being done now. It's not being done. So, but that's probably the biggest surprise for me, Coffee. How many different kinds? Of course, I think anybody who takes an interest in disappearance, their mind is blown by how many there are that are unsolved. For me, I kind of knew that for a while now. For me, it's just all these different ways that people can disappear. It's crazy. Um, Let me see. Uh, uh, coffee. You're, uh, thank you for the question, Coffee. Um, Patricia says, my brother had a Star Trek party one time. Uh, I used to be part of Star Trek, Patricia. Um, Deborah says, it seems to me like I've never heard or remembered disappearances in, or remembering disappearances um, 50 or in 60. Um, I'm not sure what that last part of that meant, Deborah. Maybe you want to type that out again. Uh, uh, can you post a list? Um, I can put a list together and I'll put it in the, uh, discussion group, uh, or something coffee, or I'll just email. I, of course you and I've, uh, talked through email. Why don't you send me an email reminding me and I will send you the list. How about we do that? All right. Steve Panky letter. Now that we're about an hour into this and I think you've all been patient. Here it is right here. And I'm going to read it to you, but not without some context first. And he did handwrite it, by the way. You can see it. Um, I decided long ago. Uh, I know it's not like Whitney Houston there. I decided long ago not to walk in anyone's shadow. Uh, <laughs> no. But um, I decided a while ago that if Steve Pankey ever went to jail, that I would write him. And the reason that was is that I thought I could do that because, you know, Steve should hold nothing against me. I mean, I, I can see Steve mad at the prosecutor, mad at the investigators. Uh, Steve probably can be mad at a lot of people. However, I, do not, I did not think that it would be rational for him to hold any ill will against me. And certainly he shouldn't hold any ill will against me since he got convicted, given, you know, for, for example, what I've said on this live show and me expressing a lot of doubts whether the prosecution really proved its case or not. All right. So and when it comes to the interview Steve did with me, he's basically got to say anything he wanted. I can't help it. that The prosecution ended up using that interview against him. That's on him. That's not on me. And when I got up and testified in both trials, I told the truth. I did not, I don't think I disparaged Steve in any way. And in fact, uh, I think that it, publicly I've said, Steve and I got along perfectly fine, although I only ever talked to him once on the phone, and that was the time we did the interview. All of the communications that I had with him over the email respectful, every one of them. So in my mind, I could write him 
and not feel like, um, you know, it had to be, well, you know, Steve, let's bygones be bygones. I know we didn't get along and everything, but now I want to uh, pump you for information. I didn't feel like that at all. I thought that I could write him and that if he was really being honest about the professional relationship he and I had, that he that he should respect me. And I may not want to reply, but there was no reason that I could come up with that I shouldn't write him that anything to do with ethics or anything else. I was I, I think that I was in a very good place in deciding to write him because I really didn't think I wronged him in any way. So finally got in, got around to do that uh, in July. Uh, of course, he got convicted back in October of last year, but it seems like, you know, the way I remember it, he was like in one jail and I was going to write him a while ago, but, you know, I, there was some, you can go look and find any prisoner in the state of Colorado, but I got the feeling he might be getting moved or something. And so I wanted to make sure that didn't happen in case I sent him something and he had moved and then didn't get my message or whatever. So I waited for sh- till he was surely in the place where he's going to stay, live out his years. And I finally wrote him a letter. I didn't write it out. Now he wrote me by hand. Uh, I typed mine out because uh, first of all, I had a lot to say and my handwriting is horrible. If you want to see bad, bad handwriting, I mean, I'm a great speller and I'm great with punctuation and everything else. But when it comes to actually writing the letters, forget it. Horrible. That's why I'm a horrible artist too. But um, so I just sat down and I typed it out. It was pretty long. And I'm not going to read all of it to you, but there have been a lot. There's been a lot on my mind regarding Janelle Matthews's murder and the trial and everything else. And I kind of in, you know, to put it figuratively, I kind of just threw up all of my thoughts and ideas and questions into this file, typed it all out. You know, there's still a lot of things I don't understand about, for example, why was it that her bones from the knees and down were never found? I don't understand. It's still hard for me to put the sequence of events together of how she was abducted from her home and when this person would have had time to rake over the footprints. You know, was she waiting in the car? Was she already dead? A lot of things up in this head of mine that I had a lot of time to think about. And so I sent that to Steve. I sent it out. I said, you know, I don't want to... If he's going to reply, he's going to reply. Maybe I'll get some answers to some of these things. Uh, so we'll see. And I sent that out right before I went to Pennsylvania, which was what, July 19th or something like that. In fact, I think I mailed it. Um, I think I mailed it the day before uh, I flew to Pennsylvania. Pretty sure. Well, Steve wrote me back so soon that when I got back to Florida, this letter was waiting for me. So he must have gotten it and right away written back to me. Okay. Now, 
I'm going to tell you that he didn't answer a lot of the questions that I asked. I, I don't know if we're supposed to be surprised by that or not. But I'm going to read this to you now that you know kind of all the setup. And I realize that uh, they probably read all of his mail. Uh, I know that anything that I write him, and I do intend on writing back to him. Um, I know that everything that I send him probably is read first. I don't care. And I'm sure everything that he gets re- writes um, probably gets read too. Just in case we're not you know, sharing top secrets or something. So I'm going uh, to read this to you. So the Steve Panky letter. And it says, Ed, and it's titled Steve Pankey's 1984 Orwellian Nightmare. That's what he wrote. And by the way, just so we're clear, um, he did give me permission. He said, Ed, if you, this is what it, Ed, if you are really, and I'll get into this, if you're really a victim's advocate, do more podcasts publicly. Publicly share what I said in page one. So I have permission from him to read this. All right. So don't, don't you think that um, he said, you know, we got to keep this secret. I'm going to read it. It's right here in the, the right here in his writing. I'm allowed to make this public. So number one, he writes, consider the Janelle Matthews case tragic, but not criminal. Because, um, you know, I don't, you know, if this, you know, this isn't really in direct response to anything in particular, I think that I wrote, but you have to remember, I'm writing to a guy who, um, you know, I'm not even sure that he murdered Janelle Matthews. So I just can't write him and say, well, we know you did it, Steve. Why did you do it? You know, and, and, you know, and all of this stuff can't do that. The case was circumstantial. I know what the jury said. They very well may be right, but there's certainly no scientific proof that Steve killed Janelle. In fact, that came out last week when I was being interviewed by taking the stand. So his first comment is consider the Janelle Matthews case tragic, but not criminal. Number two, uh, you can see it. It's so weird with this. So number two. My knowledge, if any, came after the fact, assuming Janelle's death was accidental and her body hidden in the city of New Raymer. Now, I will tell you, uh, this is the first time that I heard anything about the city of New Raymer. In fact, I haven't even looked it up on a map yet. Um, the city of New Raymer did not come up in any email I had with Steve. It did not come out. Um, of course, in my interview with him, because that would certainly stick out. Now, why out of nowhere, this new Raymer? I don't need, I, once again, I've never looked at the entire court transcript because if I were to get it, it would be a lot of money to get, and I'm not going to do that. Um, maybe new Raymer was mentioned during the trial. If it's so, I missed it. But so I'll read it again. Number two comment he makes is my knowledge, if any, came after the fact assuming Janelle's death was accidental and her body hidden in the city of New Raymer. Maybe that's, uh, is New Raymer the, like 
this in the jurisdiction of where she was eventually found. Maybe that is. If so, somehow I missed that. All right, so that's comment number two. Number three, and he does have these numbered. One, two, and now number three. as it like over in the margin? Number three, my attorney, um, I can't, Hong Pak's deal, I guess this would have been uh, back, this was his attorney, I guess, Back in 1985, remember, if you remember, Steve said he went to an attorney to talk about this. I don't think I ever knew that attorney's name. Maybe I did, forget. But the way it reads here is, my attorney Hong Pak, so maybe this person is Chinese or something, uh, deal in quotation, would have made the 1984 Colorado issue a 2019 civil matter in the jurisdiction of Twin Paul's Falls County Court, Idaho. I reasonably assumed a statute of limitations for accidental death. I wanted to protect pastoral privilege and give Janelle a Christian burial simultaneously. So it seems to me that Steve is still on this thing that he found out about Janelle's death through through somebody else and that he didn't do it. Hello, Jill. I'm reading uh, Steve Pankey's letter right now. Good time for you to uh, tune in. So once again, number three, my attorney Hong Pak's deal would have made the 1984 Colorado issue a 2019 civil matter in the jurisdiction of Twin Falls County Court, Idaho. I reasonably assumed a statute of limitations for accidental death I wanted to protect pastoral privilege and give Janelle a Christian burial simultaneously. Now, of course, what came up in the trial is that Steve was not what we might call a man of the cloth. And this is something I talked about last Thursday when interviewed. Um, Steve was trying said there was this privilege. Of course, the problem was that he wasn't affiliated with uh, necessarily any church in that capacity. And even last week when this came up in, in my, you know, my interview with taking the stand, what I said was, you know, just because two Catholics get together and they talk about the sins that they've committed does not make that privileged. That there's no sort of uh, privilege there between, uh, to Catholics, there is privilege between uh, a priest and an actual confessional, confessional in that sort of capacity. And I realize that other denominations and other religions have something similar. I was raised Catholic, so I know about this. If I go in and confess to something, of course, I'm not a practicing Catholic now. But if back then I would have gone in and confessed to something. There is privilege there. And I realize there's a way to get around it and all that, but it's recognized by law that there is something there that this kind of stuff is protected. Well, there's certainly a difference between me talking to a Catholic priest and me talking to just some other run-of-the-mill Catholic who only shows up on Sundays. And Steve never established that he actually was in a position to claim pastoral privilege. 
even though it seems in this letter he's writing about that. Um, and this is, you know, of course, this is something that uh, was used in both trials. I guess it worked in the first one. It didn't work in the second one. So I'll read this statement again. My attorney Hong Pak's deal would have made the 1984 Colorado issue a 2019 civil matter in the jurisdictions of Twin Falls County Court, Idaho. I reasonably assumed a statute of limitations for accidental death. I wanted to protect pastoral privilege and give Janelle a Christian burial simultaneously. Let's see what everybody's saying so far. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, you said, I'll have to come back to that, uh, Deborah, unfortunately, now that I'm uh, in the middle of this. Uh, Facebook user says, my thoughts are still about the same, that Steve Pankey didn't do it. Um, uh, Valerie says, when you said that, I immediately thought of that song, Too Funny. Uh, yeah, it's uh, great minds think alike, Valerie. Uh, definitely a lot of questions left. The whole case and what he was convicted of is so complicated. Uh, Coffee says, I don't think he did. He's just an attention seeker. And I talked about that. Hello, Marty. Got in right at the right time. Uh, Deborah says, I don't think he killed her still. Patricia, you testified in Steve Pankey's 21 and 2022 trial, didn't you, Ed? Patricia, I did. I did. Um, and uh, each experience uh, was a little bit different. And uh, hello, Marty. Everybody's saying hello to Marty. This is so very interesting and just sat all around for all those involved, like usual. Uh, Boone wins, really. No one wins, really. Uh, Charlotte says, I believe that he did kill her. Uh, and Charlotte, Kathy agrees with you. Kathy, uh, since the beginning, has believed that Steve Pankey is a murderer. Uh, Coffee says, religions are different and some aren't formally structured. Totally true, Coffee. Um uh, I, I agree with you, uh, but still, I think it still holds that just because two Christians or two Baptists or two Muslims or two Jewish, uh, two Jews or whoever else, Buddhists, whoever else get together and they start confessing sins to each other, none of that's privileged. Uh, accidental, not criminal involvement of any Christian burial, postural privilege, civil matter, accidental death. He's a victim. He puts him himself in every statement, every situation. Uh, Sheree, I, and if everybody doesn't know, uh, assistant Sheree um, has from the beginning thought Steve killed Janelle. Totally fine. Coffee, a lot of people think they are having a privileged conversation when they aren't. That's true. Um, but I have to admit, Coffee, that, you know, we're all adults here. And uh, I, I think most people do. Um, know when they're having a privileged conversation in contrast to a non-privileged one. I, you know, I, uh, I think. Um, Deborah says he's an attention seeker. Facebook, what a big much of a mess. But really, I guess I don't know what to think now. Marty, I, uh, yeah, everyone, kids are doing great. Um, Marty says, uh, Marty says I believe there's no doubt that he killed her. So Marty's along with Kathy and Sheree and Charlotte. And fishing says, uh, as along with them, and just because you believe it privilege doesn't make it so. So, right. So it seems to me that despite Steve being convicted, that he's still saying 
the same things. Um, pastoral privilege. He found out about it secondhand, everything else. All right. And um, number four, what he wrote. And like I said, uh, none of this uh, necessarily, you know, he really didn't answer any of the questions that I asked him. I don't know if I'm supposed to be surprised or not. I will give it another shot though. Uh, and number four, the judicial system to Steve Pankey. This is like a quote. A, name names or take the blame. And B, justice for Janelle is arbitrary. So the judicial system to Steve, once again, he, you know, being that he got convicted, this is what he thinks the judicial system is saying to him. A, name names or take the blame. So Steve is still claiming that the reason he went to jail is because he wouldn't name, um, you know, he wouldn't divulge what somebody told him back then. And I, I have to admit to all of you that, you know, and what he's writing here, as you know, I, I am a doubter. This does cause me to lean more toward the idea that he did kill her. And once again, uh, he thinks that the judicial system to him is saying to him, A, name names or take the blame. B, justice for Janelle is arbitrary, which I, I really don't know what that means. And then he signed it his name, Steve Pankey. All right. So uh, in the second part, uh, page number two, which is right here, uh, he just lets me know uh, what is going on right now. The district attorney is taking my house and bank account to pay for me being in prison. This limits my appellate and third trial options. The prison medical refuses to address any age-related medical needs. I'm 72 because I was convicted of murdering a child. This will lead to my death. And then his final statement is, Ed, if you are really a victim's advocate, I'll get to that in a second, victim's advocate in quotations, do more podcasts, publicly share what I said in page one. All right, so I've done that. And he said, in Christ's care, Steve Pankey, and he signed it, and he put page two of two. Well, first of all, uh, as all of you know, I am not a victim's advocate. Uh, I help my guests out, uh, certainly do what I can for them, but I do that uh, in a way that always reminds me that I am a reporter first. Um, that there I have, um, you know, I have a response. I have an ethical responsibility to report the truth and facts and everything. Whereas my opinion on advocates is they don't mind skewing the truth, exaggerating to draw more attention to their cause. I don't do that. I don't do that for disappearances. I don't do that for my guests. I try to keep it as real. Forgive uh, the cliche and the, the saying of the 20th century, like late 20th, early 21st century. Keep, you know, I'm keeping it real. Um, I try to keep everything as real as possible. My experience is that's the opposite of what advocates do. 
Um, so I'm not going, you know, and, and you've heard me say many times, certainly a lot of disappearances out there at Salt. There's like 100,000 of them. Very, very sad. Horrible. Horrible. But what you'll also hear me say is, really, in a country of 330 million people, at least now, 100,000 people is not a lot compared to that. We don't cover missing people because there are so many of them. I report on disappearances and I interview people because I want them solved because I know how much damage these disappearances have done to them. I'm not in this because there are so many disappearances out there. I'm into disappearances because it's been an interest of mine for a long time and because I, I, I really, really realize that these people will never be the same. That's why I do what I do. I, you know, although the number is horrible, um, and you know, people, there are people out there that are more than happy to exaggerate the number of missing, unsolved missing persons cases out there. But I don't ever want anybody to think I'm into this because the the number of cases out there is so many. That's not wrong. And in that way, I'm not an advocate. I take an interest in disappearances because I know the damage that it does to people. I know I can see the damage it does to children, to parents, to friends, how they tear people's lives apart and everything else. That's why. And so I would be into disappearances if there were only a thousand unsolved disappearances, or if there were a million, or only 10, it would all be the same. Whereas I think advocates, that, dare I say it, they want the number to be huge, so they make it huge. Because that gets them more attention, it may get more tax dollars and, and all these things. And I think once you going, start going down that road, there's no way back. And I think you throw your ethics and morality right out the window. That's my opinion. So I'm not a victim's advocate. I'm a reporter who's trying to help the people who have been damaged by these disappearances. One by one. Um, so, so Steve just gets me wrong. Um, I'm not saying he knows me well enough to know that I distance myself from advocates, but, um, you know, I didn't have him on an episode of unfound because I'm a victim's advocate. You know, the victim here is Janelle Matthews. And of course, if Steve is innocent, then I guess he's a victim. The problem is he was convicted. And dare I say, um, given that there was no scientific evidence to prove that he killed Janelle, it was him, he himself who got himself convicted. It wasn't some lab worker out there or a fingerprint analysis person or anybody like that. It was Steve's own mouth. And I actually told him that in my letter that I sent him. I actually said that. You know, there's no scientific, you know, um, in so many words, I stated that 
you know, there was no science that convicted you. You did it to yourself. And I remember last week in talking uh, when I spoke to taking the taking the stand people that at some point I even came out and said, it's pretty clear to me that if Steve would have just kept his mouth shut, whether he did it or not, he would have never been a suspect in Janelle Matthews's murder. If he had never gone down there and spoken to whoever he did in the beginning of 1985, if he had not kept showing up and saying that he knew things and everything else, there is no way he would have ever been a suspect. Why? Because there was nothing physical or scientific to connect him to Janelle. He did it to himself. So um, there you go. Let's see what everybody is. Um, uh, let's see what everybody's saying here. Um Uh, Marty says, just because you believe it's privilege doesn't make it so. Coffee says, pastors' wives are not clergy, but they are treated as such in Protestant churches. Attention sinker, not murderer. Women are often taken by surprise. Very true, Coffee Deborah. If he's such an attention seeker, he's an idiot. Um, yeah. Uh, Kathy says, coffee, but pastors' wives are not ordained. Steve's dad and paternal grandfather were both ordained pastors. Steve was never a pastor. Facebook, his comments are so odd, but not really all that telling. But what a letter, Ed. Wow, I know. Um, uh, uh, Deborah Marty did not say that you were an idiot. He said Steve was an idiot, just so let's not start something here. Rockford says the reason he's in jail is that he bent over backwards to make himself look as guilty as possible. It's like Charles Eric, who's still in prison, I believe, for the Kent Heidholt murder. Yeah, Rockford certainly knows Steve is an idiot. Who won attention in a murder case? I don't put it past him, but still not smart. New Raymer is a tiny tail in Wild County. Thank you, Charlotte, for looking that up. Deborah, wasn't sure these emojis are blocking some of your comments. Yeah, I've uh, never seen someone more real than you were with Steve Pankey. I felt like it took guts, but I think that's truly you. Thank you, Lisa. It is truly me. Exactly. Pastor's wives are not ordained. But in evangelical, evangelical churches, pastors' wives are expected to pastor the females of the church. Uh, coffee, they don't know any better until they have legal issues. Kristen, you are very generous. Thank you for the super sticker uh, through Super Chat tonight. Kristen, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for appreciating the work we do here. Facebook, but he must think he's talking to a victim's advocate. So, hmm, he is the victim here. A, hey, what a guy. Steve is certainly, yeah. Kathy, yes, you are right about some of the most conservative Protestant face. Uh, whoa. Uh, Kristen, how are you going to shut down the game like that? The more Steve talks, the less intelligent he comes off. He talked himself right into a conviction. Of course he did. That's exactly what he did. Uh, that's Lisa. Don't worry about it. Uh, any, any dollar amount is accepted. Thank you very much, Lisa. The Sheree says, dangerous minds. Facebook's user says it was his own mouth. My honest opinion, he opened this up all on his own. Deborah, I will say, being a retired correctional officer, a lot more innocent people in prison than I ever thought before. Wow, Deborah. Deborah, I would love to hear more about that, maybe in an email exchange or something. Uh, if you, you know, if you'd be up for that. Uh, Lisa, appreciate it. Just the same, of course. Uh, thank you, Lisa. So, 
That is the first Steve Pankey letter. And once again, he titled it Steve Pankey's 1984 Orwellian Nightmare. That's what he titled it. So uh, like I said, I've read it. If you missed it, you can go back and play that part of it again. Maybe you want to do some sort of uh, transcribing as I read it. You want to type it out so you can have it for your own use. If you want to analyze his words, you can do that. And at least on Facebook, there will uh, YouTube eventually generates an automatic transcription of every live show. All you have to do is hit the little button down there to the side and it'll show, show transcript if you want to do it that way. But that is the first Steve Pankey letter. I intend to write him back and um, when I do, I'll let you know. I just don't know uh, how much uh, I really want to make public regarding some of my ideas and uh, things like that. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Twinkle says, are you going to keep writing him? I am. Debbie, you are probably right. Juries consider people guilty until innocent. Unfortunately, public defenders are overworked. Uh, you know, Coffee, you should know that uh, during, once again, during taking the stand last week, um, the producer just asked me a very point blank question. Steve hung jury first trial, convicted the second trial. Point blank, the producer asked me, what was the big difference between trial number one and trial number two? That's a very easy answer to me. Steve's lawyers. That was the difference. Uh, I got the idea that um, Mr. Vjorst, I forget his first name, but his last name is Vjorst, V-I-O-R-S-T. Uh, I think he was very competent. I think that Steve got a very good defense in the first trial. And in the second trial, it was the public defender's office. And no offense to those two, the man and the woman who were defending Steve. They went to law school, passed the bar. Congrats to them. But it just didn't seem to me that they were up to the task, frankly. To me, that was the biggest difference between trial number one and trial number two. Um, Okay, Deborah. Um, Deborah, why don't you uh, email me unfoundpodcast at gmail.com and maybe we can line up uh, uh, a time to talk about that. It's a very interesting topic. Um, maybe we can line something up. Uh, paid defender versus public defender. Yes, Anthony Viores. Thank you, Kathy. Anthony is his first name. Public defenders may be brilliant, but overworked. So there you go, uh, Steve Pankey. Letter from him, and um, I'll look over my first letter to him, and maybe uh, the second time around, I'll maybe make it shorter with more bullet points of things that I would like him to answer. Of course, I can't make him answer what I want him to answer. And I, of course, know that he's never good. If he did it, he's never going to admit that. And that, that's certainly not even in my mind. That's not what, even what I'm thinking. But whether he killed Janelle or not, I certainly would like his insight uh, into the just, just the step-by-step of all of this. And I really didn't get that 
in this first letter. But I, as I admitted just, what, 10 minutes ago, the way he answered this letter, uh, once again, Steve not doing himself any favors. Uh, Facebook user says there will be another, never be another case like this pinky and all this. He got so involved that there's no way to look at it and eliminate him from the conversation. You know, I, I have to tell you this, once again, this is a topic that came up last week w- with taking the stand that you have to remember there are a lot of Steve Pankies out there. There are a lot of people who, for one reason or another, become obsessed with a disappearance, with a murder. Of course, Brian Schaefer's disappearance has them. Uh, Mar Murray's disappearance has them. Jennifer Kessie's uh, disappearance has them. But Steve Pankey, you know, there are a lot of Steve Pankeys out there, but Steve Pankey is the most Steve Pankey of all of them. And, you know, being so obsessed in, in all of these different things. But, you know, you go to Web Sleuths and you go to the, the threads for, um, you know, some of these well-known cases, whatever they are. There's a lot of people on there pretending to know stuff. It's not unusual. It's just Steve Pankey is the most Steve Pankey of all Steve Pankeys. That's the way I look at it. Um, hey, there's Julian. What's going on, Julian? Uh, Julian, you should know that uh, Cynthia, and I, uh, Cynthia and I got to talk yesterday. So I think we're eventually, you know, um, you know, kind of talking out of school here with everybody else. But, uh, you know, I don't know we're going to be able to cover that particular disappearance uh, with Cynthia. You know, there's just not enough information right at this point, but I'm going to try to continue to work with her behind the scenes, see if we can put something together eventually. Uh, but Julian says, this whole case is very conflicted and comfortable. I don't have an opinion on whether or not Steve did anything, but I, because I don't feel like I have enough information, I probably would not have convicted him beyond a reasonable doubt. I get it, Julian. Charlotte Ed, did you get the email I sent to Unfound a few weeks ago about the two sets of siblings missing in Alaska? I did. Charlotte, I did get it. Thank you. I looked at it. Not sure what I'm going to be able to do with it right now. Shree, if he wrote you a letter and said he did kill her, would you believe it? Or would you still think it was Steve trying to be relevant? Uh, I would believe it. I would believe it, Shree. I would. Um, a lot, uh, you'd, a whole lot. You'd be surprised, Deborah. I like the way you think. Uh, Lisa, I have serious doubts that Panky did it. At the very least, not enough evidence. Yeah. Yeah, it's still hard to compute how they convicted him. You want to think that he's guilty? Totally fine. But really, when it comes to his actual conviction, still, still a little mind blowing uh, to me. So, what do I want to cover next? Let's talk about this fugitive that was caught right here in my state of Florida. And we got, uh, maybe I should answer another question. Hold on a second. Let's answer this question. Uh, what do you believe the protocol should be regards to a missing person going missing that has a history of domestic violence against them? What do you believe the protocol should be 
in regards to of a person going missing that had a, has a history of domestic violence against them. Um, is this uh, is this a question from you, Jill? If you're still in here, um, you know I, I'm inclined to treat all disappearances the same. Uh, if that's the question you're asking, um, you know, we've, uh, you know, uh, I would certainly love to cover more disappearances where it's somebody on the run. We kind of did that, of course, when Julian was on, by the way, if everybody wants to know former guest Julian is Jay's amaze in there. But when Julian was on, of course, we talked about, um, you know, his family member and her taking off with Richard Riesenberg. Uh, never to be seen again. Um, I treat them all the same. Um, whether a fugitive from the law or whatever else, um, at least that's my attitude. And then the other uh, question that I got asked was, do you think the police take the man's word for what happened in their wives or girlfriends disappearances too much? And if so, what can be done to change it? Uh this, uh, you know, I covered this topic very recently. So, it, you know, it's interesting getting this question. Um, yeah, they do take them too much. And I even went as so far as to say that the reason I think that police do this is because maybe these police officers can identify a little too much with the man who's standing there saying his wife took off. Dare I say, I know it's horrible, but, uh, you know, we're all adults. We've all been in relationships. A lot of us have had problems with our relationships and it very well may be that a police officer who has maybe had, uh, marriage problems. I'm not saying that this guy was necessarily abusive or anything, but maybe his wife cheated on him. Maybe she ran off, you know, with the pool boy, maybe ran his, her, his credit card debt up and everything else. And so you have this guy that maybe in the back of his head thinks women are nothing but trouble, like the Beastie Boys said. And then he shows up for a disappearance where husband's saying, yeah, my wife uh, took off. I think a police officer like that is going to be more inclined to believe a story like that. And I believe that a lot of this is going on. I certainly believe that. And so, yes, I guess what I'm saying is I think there is, there could be a sexism in this type of disappearance when it comes to the investigation and believing the men who tell these stories that to the rest of us who aren't investigators, who aren't police and everything, we're like, how can you believe these stories? But it seems the police officers who show up do. There has to be a reason for that. And dare I say, I think one of the reasons could be that these police officers want to believe these stories because this is their experience with women, which is horrible. You know, you know, and you know, the guys start saying, you know, she was doing this and she was doing that. And, you know, and the, some of these guys showing up in their uniforms identify to it and they start being buddies with the guy. 
I'm just hypothetical. I don't know that factually true, but you know, misery loves company. That's I think that comes from somewhere, probably Shakespeare or something. And so if a guy who's a police officer is in misery about a woman in his life for whatever reason, he shows up for a missing persons case at some guy's door and the guy says, yeah, the woman ran off. She ran off and got in a truck, white truck. I don't know who was driving. Who's going to be most likely to believe the guy? Another guy who is also having problems with women. And being that I'm a straight guy, I know how these things work, and it's horrible. So um, there you go. Um, The On The Case show brought up the neighbor across the street, Charlotte. When uh, I did that interview for Taking the Stand last week, we talked about North Strike as well. Uh, Hello, Jill. Uh, Okay. I I agree, Lisa. I don't think there was a ton of evidence, certainly not enough to put him away. They being said, I do believe he killed her. Jill says, I was more asking about a victim of domestic violence. What do you read regarding a parent going missing that has, oh, I I, now I'm uh, rereading the question and and accenting different words, Jill. Now, um, well, just as I said, Jill, um, one of the protocols should be make sure that the investigator can't identify with the guy who's claiming that his wife ran off. Okay. In fact, uh, maybe for these types of disappearances, maybe they should put women investigators in charge of these particular types of disappearances instead of men. I would certainly be open to that. I, I realize we all want to look, you know, very be gender blind and, and all this stuff, but I can't resist the idea that if women were showing up to take these missing persons reports for these types of disappearances, that the investigations would go a little differently. Uh, So once again, what do you believe the protocol should be in regards to a person going missing that has a history of domestic violence against them? Um, I guess to change my answer at least a little bit, Jill, I think anybody shows up should be absolutely as cynical, as cynical, as cynical should be from the very first second they hear about the disappearance. And they shouldn't take the husband's or boyfriend's word at all. In fact, whatever the guy says, they should probably just think the opposite. That's the protocol. Yep, you said it, Ed, and I wouldn't have been able to convict either. There's plenty of doubt how it was ignored by jury. Uh, once again, uh, reminding everybody, thank you, Shree. Please give this video a thumbs up, this show a thumbs up. Please subscribe. And if you're in uh, Facebook or wherever, please do what you can there as well. Yeah, um, Norris Drake. Yeah, very true, Ed. Rockford says, I'm not defending all law enforcement claims there isn't biased laziness, but it's hard to have the right to go missing and be a thorough investigation every time someone goes missing. I realize that, Rockford. I was certainly... um, Adults, at least in the United States, do have the right to go off and things. But Rockford, what I'm specifically talking about, or I mean, and I mean, I realize you're still working your way through all of Unfound's episodes. But really, how many disappearances have we covered where the woman's phone, purse, ID, clothes, car, everything she owns is 
uh, been left behind. And a guy says, I don't know what happened to her. Or they have some story. Yeah, she took off and a guy, you know, in a white truck. And I don't know who the guy is. Many, many of them. So I get it that women are certainly, if they're married, they're certainly allowed to take off. But would they really do it that way? Would they really leave all their clothes behind? I can see leaving their phone behind if they're, you know, they don't want to be contacted or something else. But their clothes, their purse, I can maybe see their ID. But at some point, it just gets a little, be a little crazy, I think. And it should be a huge red flag. It should be. Uh, human nature is human nature. Always will be. Shree, this age-old proverb was originally said in the 16th century by the demon Mesostopheles in a play titled The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus, Misery Loves Company. Thank you, Shree. You Googled it. Thank you. So Faust, The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus, Misery Loves Company. And it is certainly true. Thank you for that. My quest is beginning to wind down, and I will say the man said cases are overwhelming to say the least. Yeah, they are. Uh, every time, um, you know, every time we, you know, and we, of course, we just had one this past Friday, and we're going to actually have one this Friday, although it's a the woman said type of disappearance. Of course, we'll get to that in like 15 minutes, but. Every time we cover one, I'm, I'm left with the same, same situation. Why didn't anybody believe any of this? You know, I realize in the moment, some of these disappearances, hard to tell. I get it. I have a lot of compassion. I don't have a lot of compassion with that particular type. You know, the Marion Harleys, the Rosemary Raps, the Daniel Sleepers. On and on and on and on and on. I mean, we've covered so many. It's very sad. These men surely got away with murder. Surely. Instead, you know, they're putting out APBs looking for her. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about this fugitive who was found. Uh, fugitive caught. Uh, they say he was living a lavish style Lavish lifestyle in Florida. Deputy U.S. Marshals arrested Alan Todd May, 58 years old, on Tuesday. This would have been six days ago in Fort Lauderdale neighborhood, less than two miles from the ocean, in an area where a large number of the homes are valued at more than $1 million. Prior to his capture, authorities searched across the country for May, who was wanted for fraud and escape since 2018. He was on the run for five years. This was huge. This is a very long, extensive investigation. This gentleman, because of his fraud background, was very good at eluding capture. In 2012, May was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison after being convicted of mail fraud in Texas. In January 2018, he was transferred to the Federal Correctional Institute in Inglewood, Colorado. Nearly a year later, in December, May was discovered to be missing during a prisoner count. Doesn't say how actually he escaped. When he escaped prison, May had nine years left on his 20-year sentence. While he was in prison, authorities say he managed to steal $700,000. So while he's in prison, he's still ripping people off. Impressive. Investigators say May identified several businesses that were owed unclaimed oil and gas royalties 
and then acted as a representative of those companies to claim the royalties for himself. He's believed to have gathered more than $700,000 in fraudulent claims An indictment connected to these allegations dropped while May was on the run. As the charges continued to stack up against the escapee, UC, U.S. Marshals say they started receiving more tips about him, which led investigators to chase leads in California, Wisconsin, Michigan, Texas, and Florida. U.S. Marshals say one anonymous tipster helped them track down May after seeing his picture at a high society fundraiser on a website for the Palm Beach Daily News. Investigators set up surveillance on a penthouse apartment in Palm Beach, but saw no signs of May. That's until they noticed May's suspected partner leaving the apartment in a U-Haul truck. U.S. Marshals followed the U-Haul almost 50 miles from Palm Beach to the home in Fort Lauderdale, where they eventually saw May come out of the house. As movers unloaded the U-Haul, authorities placed May into custody. U.S. Marshals say when May was arrested, he was wearing a Rolex watch and driving a Mercedes. We should all be so fortunate. Very flashy. He was flaunting his wealth. Whether he obtained that wealth legitimately or not is another question, but he was very good at flaunting his wealth while still trying to remain hidden. May is detained and is expected to be back, taken back to Colorado by the end of the month to face 10 counts of wire fraud, seven counts of mail fraud, and escape charges. He could potentially face additional charges related to possible fraudulent activity while he was on the run. So it can be done. Even a guy as high profile as this guy, he went missing for five years and here he was. He really, I guess he was hiding, but not hiding in what we would uh, say in hiding terms. I'm, I'm guessing he was using some fake name or whatever, but... He did it. We, I don't know how he escaped. I'd love to know that. But so when we think about more regular types of disappearances, and of course we know about Robert Hoagland who disappeared successfully, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if this really opens my mind anymore to the idea that, yes, maybe more people than I realize. Uh, you know, the disappearances that we've covered on and found, maybe more of them are walk-offs and they're alive out there than I realize. I certainly am inclined to believe some of them are. Uh, but man, if it's more than 10, I would be surprised, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but it, it is amazing that, but I think what this also shows, going back to the Robert Hoagland example, I guess from last year, is that even with this guy, even with the money that he ripped off and everything else, it seems he also needed help. That's why they're talking about this partner with you all. Is this like a girlfriend or something? It doesn't say, uh, at least in this article. So I think what I'm saying is it seems like it can be done. But now that we have a couple stories like this, it seems these people need help. Maybe people who really know that this person is on the run or, or is somebody else or people like in Robert Hoagland's case who are willing to kind of look past some things that don't quite add up. Like with Robert Hoagland, you know, he didn't have a bank account and, you know, and all these other things. And he was very nebulous about his background and his history and everything else. These people need help. 
whether direct help or indirect help, you know, whether through uh, having a lot of knowledge or just being ignorant. I think this, this is what this shows. Um, I think what this also says is, you know, if you're cruising around and seeing people driving Mercedes and Bentleys and Rolls Royces and everything, I think it's fair to say that a lot of these people probably are living beyond their means or ripping people off and everything else. You know, this is more and more where I'm getting in my life. Given that where I live, I do see stuff like that. More and more I'm thinking, I'm betting, I just have a feeling that a lot of these people are living beyond their means and just buying this stuff, you know, and ripping people off and things. That's where I've gotten to. Uh, she hadn't heard about that. Okay, Shree. Well, I'm, I'm always happy when I can surprise, surprise Shree with a story. Yep, we agree on those examples and we agree on the need for cynicism on the part of the investigators, Rockford says. But there are, yet there are a lot of plenty of cases in your catalog where there's a no evidence it wasn't voluntary. I, I agree. Deborah, hi, hi, uh, yeah, there are definitely a few inmates who make a lot of things happen from their cell library and the smuggling in cell phones are rampant to stay connected to do business. Rockford says, Marty, how many are you doing per week? The most I've been able to do is three, and that requires some of the shorter ones. Uh, yeah, Marty's almost caught up to present day for all of Unfound's episodes. I, I give him all the respect in the world. And... Uh, one more story, and maybe Rockford, being that uh, what you brought up, I'm going to read this story. I want to talk about the disappearance of Miriam Silla, S-Y-L-L-A. Police are searching for a Maryland teacher who was reported missing more than a week ago after she disappeared after going on a walk. Miriam Torre Silla, 59, was last seen in Greenbelt, Maryland on July 29th around 8 p.m. The Greenbelt Police Department said in a statement Monday. So I think this was last Monday. Police described Scylla as a black woman about 5'5 and about 135 pounds. Scylla, who is also known as Madam Scylla, interesting, is a teacher at Dora Kennedy French Immersion School in the Prince George's County Public School District in Greenbelt. We hope and pray for Miriam Therese Scylla's safe return, the district said. Our hearts are with the Dora Kennedy French Immersion Community. Uh, on Friday, students, parents, and the Greenbelt community held a vigil for Scylla almost a week after she was reported missing. At the vigil, uh, Greenbelt police chief said Scylla took regular walks from 30 to 45 minutes, ending before sunset. Police said she went for a walk the day she disappeared. Police are asking the public to contact them with any information on Scylla's disappearance. Police uh, say Miriam was last seen around 8 p.m. in the 6500 block of Lake Park driving Greenbelt on July 29th. When her son says she left home to take a walk, uh, Greenbelt police closed Shrom Hills Park, where Scylla, which Scylla is known to frequent, located at 6915 Hanover Parkway for several hours Tuesday morning. Once again, I think this is last Tuesday morning. While they conducted a, conducted a search, uh, Fox 5 told, I was told there was no sign of her. Family says she's very religious, and while she often takes walks in the area, she typically returned home by sunset to pray. My understanding, she was Muslim, but that didn't happen Saturday. Scylla, who is originally from Africa, is a teacher at Dora County French Immersion School where she has worked for several years. Now, I did look up this location. So, uh, you know, and there are no bodies of water near there. 
However, there is a large force to the West, but I think that's mentioned in the article. This is that park, and I think that it was searched. So Rockford, I think this is a good example of this. That here's a grown woman, 59 years old, who walked off. It very well may be that she walked off. But I have to say, if it wasn't her son who was saying that she walked off that day, if it was her boyfriend, then that would be least little be a little bit of a yellow flag to me. Then I'm going to start wanting, not that sons don't kill their mothers, they do, but it's a lot rarer than boyfriends killing boyfriend, uh, boyfriends or girlfriends and husbands killing wives. Um, so if this was a husband saying, yeah, she walked off, I would at least want to go a little deeper on that. Whereas with this, a lot of different possibilities. Um, and even, you know, of course, as I have written here, the things that I go to when thinking about a disappearance like this is any men in her life. Maybe she's not living with a guy she's dating, but does he live in the area? Also, it sounds like she had a routine. We know how dangerous that can be for women. If you're always out there walking the same time every day, running the same time every day, you have a very set schedule. If the wrong guy happens to lock onto that schedule, you're making it easy for him to harm you if you're a woman out there doing that. And I realize you got your life to live. I'm not saying you should live in fear. But what you should understand is if you live by a set schedule and you're going out in the public being by yourself, running, biking, walking, swimming, hiking, whatever. The odds of something bad happen to you go up. I'm not saying they go up by a million percent. But but when you because when you have a set routine of things that you do every day by yourself, you could unfortunately latch on to some sort of stalker. I don't know if that happened here, but it's something that's on my mind. This does not seem to me a situation where I think something happened at home and somebody, you know, unless her son is a really, 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 really bad guy. But there's nothing at this point that causes me to believe that anything other than, yes, she did walk off and something happened while she was on her walk. It very well may be that she walked off and committed suicide. Very sad. So, Rockford, I guess what I'm saying is it just depends. And I understand that, you know, not everything is so uh, – what is the woman's name? Uh, sure, no problem. Her name is Miriam Silla, Charlotte. It's M-A-R-I-M – let me do that again. M-A-R-I-A-M-E, last name Silla, S-Y-L-L-A. So we'll see, uh, you know, what happened. Of course, we had this very well-known disappearance up there in the New England states. The woman who went missing on Super Bowl Sunday, she's living by herself. I think her husband was in Texas or something. She's cooking this meal for the Super Bowl party. The people show up. She's not there. 
never to be seen again, although she did tell somebody she was going to go out for a walk, never to be seen again. So certainly adults can walk off and everything, but when it comes to situations where men in these women's lives start telling these stories, I automatically go to completely cynical. You just gave my standard answer when I'm asked for a legal question. It depends. And I quite agree that you're right. Clearly law enforcement needs to be better educated about disappearance. Yes. They need, like I said, Rockford, I keep saying it. They need to know it when they see it. And they need to know it when they see it. And right now they don't do that. Not just for this type of disappearances, but all types. They have to know, be able to deduce very quickly, is this foul play or is this something else? Did this person walk off or whatever else? And dare I say it, myself and probably all of you in this live show tonight are better equipped at showing up and determining this than anybody in law enforcement is right now because you'll listen to unfound. All right, this Friday, we're going back to New York City. In fact, we're going back uh, to Brooklyn. Of course, this is the birthplace of friend of the program, Dr. Telesco, for the disappearance of Ailea Boomer, A-L-I-Y-A-H, last name, Boomer, B-O-O-M-E-R. Her aunt, Tasha Rice, is the guest. Ailea went missing from Brooklyn on August 15th. 2015 and how conveniently that this is not the man said type of disappearance. This is the woman said, and that is going to be the title of the episode. The woman said why? Because Aliyah was in a relationship with a woman who was much older than she was. And the, the story this older woman told they'd been dating for like four years is that Aaliyah wanted to go to a barbecue, and this woman admitted they had kind of argued about it, and then uh, she kind of just said, okay, if you're going to go, you're going to go by yourself, and Aaliyah was never seen again, never showed up at this other barbecue, nothing. So once again, Rockford, uh, for the, you know, this will give you another chance to Think about this particular type of disappearance and the rest of you uh, as well. You know, we get so caught up talking about the man said, I don't know what happened. She just took off. Well, now a woman is saying this about her girlfriend. And are we going to treat it the same way? It will be very interesting for all of this. Um, come, this will be this Friday. Once again, Ilea Boomer. B-O-O-M-E-R, Brooklyn, New York, August 15th, 2015. Our Aunt Tasha Rice is the guest. And the title of the episode is The Woman Said. So that's all I got. Uh, Charlotte, good night to you. Patricia, thank you uh, for joining in tonight. Everything good to see you. Lisa, heavy metal. Uh, love heavy metal, Lisa. Yeah, Sharice reminding everybody to keep your head on a swivel. Uh, yeah, I'm a heavy metal rock star. Uh, Lisa, you should know that I'm working on my singing, and I don't be surprised if this time next year I am the lead singer in a band. Do not be surprised by that. Well, that's all I got for tonight. Please give this video a thumbs up. Please consider uh, contributing through Patreon, YouTube, through the Super Chat button, through PayPal, and you will hear me on Friday for the disappearance
of Ilea Boomer. Thank you all for making time tonight. Good night. And keep your heads on swivels.